Good morning. Good morning. Hot morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in Romans chapter 8, and if you need a Bible, raise your hands. Romans chapter 8, and we're going through the book of Romans chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Romans chapter 8. Anyone need a Bible? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will come running to you. Over here, Mr. Drake. Romans chapter 8. Last week we were in verses 1 through 4. We continue in verse 5. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh. I'm going to talk about what that means today. Living according to the flesh. Set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is Enmity against God. It means is an enemy or acting like an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's pray. Father, that's what we want. We want to live. You've given us a life. You've called us to a life. We want to live it. How the flesh prevents us from ever realizing that, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for this morning, this hour. It says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the spirit please God. What an incredible thing to think of, Lord, that you, who threw the planets into motion, who created the universe, who who 
or the author of all beauty who spoke a word and the, and the oceans were and the mountains were and the animals were. You who said, let us make man in our image and you made man and woman in your image. The idea that we can please you, put a smile on your face. That's the people that we want to be, Lord. A people, a church, and yes, a city, Lord, that puts a smile on your face. A city that people look at and say, wow, God is that good. He's that beautiful. He's that powerful, Lord. That's why we believe you've gathered us, Father, here today. Because your word says judgment begins in the house of God, meaning you're chastening, meaning you changing people in, in your house. It doesn't begin out there in the world with people who don't know you. It begins with us. Do your work among us, Lord. Move among us. And we pray this not because we deserve it, but because your son purchased it, and that's what he wants. That would, that's what he loves. It says, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? Among many other things, seeing you move among us and making you smile, making you pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. You know, as the years go by, I am less and less concerned about how many people come here to Calvary Chapel in the city, and I'm more and more concerned as the years go by of the kind of person that is produced at this church. What are we producing? What is being produced? Who is, when we send someone out, from this place, which we do almost every month here, we send someone away. Who are we sending away? What has been produced here at this church? What kind of Christian? Paul says in Ephesians 6.10, he says, he says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I want Christians produced here who are strong. They are strong in the Lord. It says, be strong in the Lord. The, the straight, I, want a, I want people produced here that are strong because they're in the Lord. And then it says, and in the power of his might. Strong, powerful people sent out. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it says this. It says, warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient to all. Paul is talking about the leaders at the church of Thessalonica. And he says, warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient to 
all, when we send out a man or woman from Calvary Chapel to another part of the country, we want them to, when they arrive at their new church, we don't want them to be the ones who are unruly that have to be warned. We don't want them to be the ones who are weak that have to be upheld. We don't want them to be the ones that um, are faint-hearted uh, that have to be comforted. Uh, we don't want them, uh, we want them to be the ones, rather, who warn the unruly. Why? Because they're strong. The ones who uphold the weak. Why? Because they're strong. We, we, we want them to be the ones who comfort the faint-hearted. Why? Because they have strong hearts. And we have sent out many from this place like that. And man, that blesses me. We want to produce strong men and women of God here. So Romans chapter 8 is really an answer to Romans chapter 7. And we have... Uh, Quoted for, we were in Romans chapter 7 a couple weeks ago, but also uh, last week. Romans chapter 7, verse, verse 14, is speaking um, about someone in a place of weakness, and I should say, a Christian in a state of weakness. Verse 14 says this for we, know, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal or fleshly. Sold under sin, meaning a slave to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. That's weakness. He continues on. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one that wills to do good. Meaning, I'm the one who wills to do good, but I find a law. There's evil present with me. Verse 22 then says, But for I delight in the law of the Lord according to the inward man. But I see another law, another reality in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing it into captivity. Oh, wretched man that I am. There are Christians who live their whole life de defined, their life is defined by that struggle in the sense that they remain captive. It says, I see it, verse 23 of chapter 7 says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. Oh, wretched man that I am. Christians who live their whole life captive to sin and they never get beyond their sin. They never get beyond it. They're weak. They're not strong. They're unruly they, uh, who have to be warned. They are the weak that have to be upheld. They're the faint-hearted that need to be comforted. Now, look, don't misunderstand me. I, I, this church and every church, every single church is a, is a hospital of sinners. It's not a museum of saints. 
and I need to be comforted because I get faint-hearted, and I need to be um, upheld because I get weak. And my wife will tell you, I need to be warned because I get unruly. But I'm saying, I'm really talking here about a Christian who, their life is defined by being captive to sin, defined by being unruly, faint-hearted, and weak. That's what defines them. That's what people see. And, and we want to produce here a, a, a church, a people, men and women who are strong. Be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6.10, and in the power of his might. So the very last couple verses of uh, Romans chapter 7 and then into chapter 8 is, a, is, is an explanation about how to go from weakness to strength. Are you going to just stay as a weak person? Are you going to do that? It seems like every week I talk to someone, just, I'm different, and therefore I'm weak. They have no scriptural support for the, for the statement that they have to remain there. Is that going to be you? I'm, I'm going to stay weak because I'm different. So the end of Romans chapter, uh, chapter 7, the very end. Is, oh, wretched man, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as we said a couple weeks ago, that says there's delivery from captivity of sin. It says it. It says it. <laughs> and then it goes on in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is he talking about condemnation? Because that's what makes him wretched. That's what makes him miserable. He he. he, he he finds that he, he, he delights in the law of God, in the word of God, but there's another, there's another reality that brings him into captivity of sin, and in comes the condemnation, mean you're guilty, you are the worst excuse of a Christian, you are one sorry dude. Condemnation. But Romans 8, which is meant to bring us out from that place of captivity, of permanent weakness into strength, says, wait a second, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the verse continues in, in most of our translations here. Who do not walk according to the Spirit, but according to the, uh, according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If the, the Spirit, as we saw last week, always point you to Jesus. So if you're walking According to the Spirit, if you're listening to the Spirit after you fall flat on your face for the 1,000th time, you still go back to Jesus because that's what those living in the Spirit, according to the Spirit, do. But if you walk according to the flesh where, no, God has no part, I'm going to try to pull up my life by the bootstraps, I'm going to end this failure somehow with my own strength, I know I can do it. I know I, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. No, you can't. <laughs> There's going to be condemnation there when you're living by the flesh. And you're going to be saying, oh, wretched, 
O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? It's got to be me. That's just a continued state of weakness and condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you weren't here last week, I recommend listening to the message. For the law of the Spirit, verse 2, has freed me from the law of the sin of death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of his flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, meaning the penalty of your sin, your failure, is death and hell. The payment, the consequence, the just consequence are those things. But Jesus on the cross experienced death. He experienced hell. He experienced the wrath of God so that you wouldn't have to experience any of that. So you could pass from death to life, eternal life with him. And then it says in verse 4, he condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. What this says is this. It says you can walk according to that law that you delight in. It says it. It says it. In verse 21 of, uh, verse 22 of chapter 7, it says, I delight in the law of God, but then I fall flat on my face. Who's going to re rescue me from this body of death? Well, verse 4, um, it, it actually says, he says, don't be deceived. You can walk. Yeah, rather, it, it says, Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law so that you can fulfill that law if you walk according to the Spirit. Now we're going to talk more about what that means, walking according to the Spirit. Because I don't know about you, but I want to fulfill that law that I delight in. By the way, that particular verse, it's true that Christ fulfilled the law. But that verse says we fulfill it when we walk according to the Spirit. It says it. Not in the same way that Jesus did. But the, but the law of verse 22 of chapter 7 that we delight in. We, I love the word of God. I just can't obey it. I can't fulfill it. Well, Romans 8, we're going to learn we can. If we walk according to the Spirit. But what on earth does that mean, walking according to the Spirit? Well, let's read on. Verse 5 where we read, started this morning. Read along with me. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. But to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so I think at this point, you coming up with a battery? 
The battery's good? Okay. What's that? Okay. It must be the heat. Strange, strange things happen on hot days. You want me to use the mic? Oh, you can take away that thing. I'll just use this. All right. Okay, no one saw any of this happening, right? No, it's right there. All right. I can walk around the mic. So at this point, I think it'd be good to talk about the word flesh. The word flesh. Ah, that is good. Wow. All right. Because that word flesh is used in these verses 12 times. 12 times the word flesh. Again, verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So from chapter 7, verse 5, to chapter 8, verse 13, 12 times that word flesh is used. Sometimes instead of the word flesh, the word carnal is used. Carne in Spanish, carnal. Like verse 7, because the carnal mind, same exact Greek word in the original language, language sharks. The word flesh or carnal. It's a Greek word, sarks. It's kind of like sharks. That's what the flesh does, like a shark. It's used 12 times, eight, f- five or six times, just in verses 5 through 8 alone. What does it mean, the flesh? Let's talk about that. Well, it's not, in case you haven't figured it out, it's not talking about your physical body. When you read the word flesh, here. It's not talking about your physical body. It's talking about sin. The sin that continues to live with you after you become a Christian. After, what does that mean, becoming? How do you become a Christian? It means you, you open up your heart to Jesus and say, yes, I believe who you are. Come in and be my king and my savior. The, body say, the Bible says until we, get, until we die or Jesus returns, we, we continue to have sin living in us. Look at verse 16 of chapter 17. It says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells or lives in me. So, verse 8 of Romans, chapter 8, go back to chapter 8, speaks of being in the flesh. So we, we see this term flesh, and then we see the term in the flesh. So Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What does that mean? So here's a working definition of what it means to be in the flesh. In the flesh means doing what I want and what pleases me with no care of what God wants or what pleases him. 
took me an hour and a half to two hours to come up with that definition. That's what I do. I sit, I sit in front of a computer and cry out to God, and this is what came out, I think, came from him. In the flesh, doing what I want and what pleases me with no care of what God wants or what pleases him. So when we see the word flesh, it's that's that which I want and what pleases me with no care of what God wants or pleases him. So Calvary Chapel in the city. Each of you, I ask this question. Are you in the flesh? It, 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 it separates Christians into two categories here. Christians who are in the flesh or in the spirit. Romans 7 and 8 is talking to Christians throughout. Are you in the flesh or in the spirit? We come to church on Sunday mornings and then on Tuesday nights in the Bible. It's not just to stay the same. Whenever after the service someone comes up to me and says, I enjoyed your sermon, I'm like, oh, please, don't tell me that. That's not what I want. I, I, I want pain. That's what I want in my heart. A pain that leads to joy and love. Are you in the flesh or in the spirit? So this word flesh mentioned 12 times in just a, a, a number of verses here. To answer that question, let me ask you another question. I'm going to surprise some of you with these questions and the answers. Tomorrow morning, some of you will wake up and you'll go to a job. Let me ask you a question. Does God want you to be in that job? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you could be very well be in the flesh if you don't know. Have you ever asked God whether he wants that job for you? Mm, well, no. You're probably in the flesh by being in that job. Others of you will go to get up and go to school. Let me ask you a question. Does God want you to be in that school? Sean, can we have the definition of in the flesh up there again? Does God, you, you, by the way, you can just leave it up there. Does God want you to be in that school or in school at all? Well, of course he does. I finish high school. After high school, you go to college. Oh, really? Did God tell you that? Or did your parents or someone else? You may be in the flesh by being in school. Why? Because in the flesh is doing what I want and what pleases me with no care of what God wants or what pleases him. You're in a relationship. You're happy in the relationship. Does God want you in that relationship? Well, of course he does. I'm happy. Did you ask God whether he is happy about being in that relationship? 
Well, well, no. Did you read the Bible and study what it has to say about Christ-centered, Jesus-centered relationships before being in that relationship? No. Did you ask uh, did you ask a brother or sister who's been walking with God a long time uh, what they think of your relationship? Well, no. Well, you may be in the flesh. You may be in the flesh by being in that relationship, doing what I want and what pleases me with no care of what God wants or what pleases him. So it's so important that you understand this, every single one of you. I hope this awakens you in the prayer before the service, 9.30 a.m. Please be there next week, room 526, all of you, right? <laughs> 536 rather. We prayed that, that the word of God and the worship would awaken the people of Calvary Chapel. And, and this is, and let this awaken you. It's so important that you understand that doing pornography is just as much as being in the flesh as being in a job or school or a relationship if God or the word of God has never been brought into whether you are supposed to be in that job or in that relationship or in that school or whatever. Entirely in the flesh. In a job that you've been in for 10 years. If God has never been brought in. In the flesh doing what I want and what pleases me with no care of what God wants or what pleases him. Both the porn user and the person in the job making a lot of money, even maybe providing for his family, are equally as much in the flesh. I beg you to get that. Both are in the flesh and both are weak Christians. They are not strong Christians. They are not the kind of Christians that we want produced at Calvary Chapel in the city. Wake up, waking up in the morning and spending the day criticizing and gossiping about that person who you don't like because they wronged you can be just as much in the flesh as being in a relationship which may have on... The outside, many things about it that look good. You actually may be sexually pure. Uh, you may get along great. Everyone may compliment you on this relationship, but God has never been brought into whether it is something he wants or not equally as much in the flesh. The person who goes around all day just backstabbing this person they don't like as this person who looks like they're in a happy relationship. Same is true with having a family. Same is true as having a vacation. Same is true as uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> Speak to my own heart, Steve. Have you brought God into that? Looks like a good idea, but are you in the flesh? In the flesh, doing what I want and what pleases me with no care of what God wants or what pleases him. So I, I suspect that's new to some of you. But really is what the Bible teaches. Let's read verse 5 again. Again, it says, verse 5 of Romans chapter 8, it says, but those who live according to the flesh set their minds 
on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, we talked about what it means to be in the flesh. What does it mean to set our mind on the things of the flesh and to set our mind on the things of the Spirit? I think it... So I don't want to set my mind on the things of the flesh. So we just learned that I can set my mind on my job. I can be just as much setting my mind on the things of the flesh as if I were to do pornography or to backstab someone all day. That's a fact. Both situations. You can be setting your mind on the things of the flesh. But I think in order to understand what it means to Set your mind on the things of the flesh. It's helpful to first talk about what it means to set your mind on the things of the spirit. What does that mean? Setting my mind on the things of the spirit. Well, first let's talk about what it means to be in the spirit. We've talked about what it means to be in the flesh. Let's talk about what it means to be in the spirit. Sean, can we have that? In the spirit. It did not take me. an hour and a half to two hours to come up with this. Thank you, God. In the spirit, doing what God wants and what pleases God because I delight in what God wants and in what pleases him. Second part's really important. Uh, You could be doing what God wants and what pleases him, but be completely in the flesh. And and listen, I'm not telling you I'm like this all day, every day. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) But doing what God wants and what pleases him because I delight in what God wants and what, he, what pleases him. That's what it means to be in the spirit. Verse five says, those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. That's what verse five of Romans chapter eight says. So what are the things of the spirit? I hope you're taking notes. This is a note-taking sermon. The things of the Spirit, well, looking at the definition of in the Spirit, the things of the Spirit are those things which God wants for me. The things of the Spirit are the things that pleases God. And I find out what are the things that please God and what God wants primarily by three things. One, talking to God, asking him, God, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want, Lord? Number two, by reading the word of God, and then also by talking to those who know God and his word. That's how you find out what the things of God are, the things that God wants for you, what pleases him. It's, the, it's, 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 it's prayer. It's, it's reading the word. It's talking to other Christians. We sort of talked about the fellowship dinners. It's going to fellowship dinners at Calvary Chapel in the city in Brighton and hearing about what other Christians say. If my mind is set on the things of the Spirit, what he wants from me and what pleases him is always going to guide me. It's like a compass, and there's like a number. I'm looking at the compass, and then there's a certain number that it's always leading me to that number, to that place. It's the heart of God. My heart is always being directed to that place. That's what it means to have a mind set on the things of the Spirit.
Why do we want a mind set on the things of the Spirit? Verse 6 says, because to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And the opposite, to be fleshly minded is death. So it's important to have a mind set on the things of the Spirit, as verse 5 calls it. Now pause. It's really important that we pause right now, that we pause. So important to get out of our mind about what being in the spirit and being in the flesh does not mean because there are crazy and ridiculous ideas that many of us have learned at churches and in religious communities about what it means to have a mind set on the spirit, the things of the spirit, or having your mind set on things of the flesh, what those things do not mean. For example, I love watching basketball, and I don't get to watch a lot of basketball because I have a, a full life. It's a, it's a full life. It's an overflowing life. But what I do get to do is watch highlights, highlights of Celtics games. And so late at night, this is how I actually wind down. I watch Jason Tatum do a postering slam and to his opponent. That's what I do. Now, my wife likes watching cooking shows. Just biting my lip. She watches cooking shows. That's what she likes to do. Now, what if someone came up to me and asked me while I was watching the highlights of a Boston Celtics game and they said, Steve, are you in the spirit? Is your mind set on the things of the Spirit? What's my answer? It's a resounding yes, and I'll explain why. I'm trying to rid Calvary Chapel of pietistic religious nonsense. <laughs> my answer would be yes, right now, at this time in my life. Someone came to my wife, Stephanie, while she is watching a cooking show and said, Stephanie, are, is your mind set on the spirit now? Her answer would be yes. I'm confident of that. Unashamedly, with complete humility. Because when I'm watching those basketball players, and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart, I'm seeing the glory of God. And I'm not saying that because, oh, wow, I'm a Jason Tatum fan or a Boston Celtics God, uh, fan, but I'm seeing the amazing beauty of what God created man to do. When my wife is watching a cooking show, she's seeing the glory of God. This is the amazing beauty of what God created man to cook. This is a great part of uh, C.S. Lewis's biography. Other than Billy Graham, probably the most famous Christian of the 20th century, of, of his biology, he was an agnostic British professor who taught Greek mythology. And he went to a Christian by the name of J.R. Tolkien. 
and he said, look, I, I don't believe in the Christian God, but I have to believe in God because when I get into these, this writing, there's like, there's gods there. There's such beauty. And what J.R. Tolkien, Tolkien said, he wrote Lord of the Rings, he said, yeah, you see, you see beauty, but you're not seeing God. You're seeing something that points to God. Genesis 1.28 says this. It says, God, God blessed them and God said to them, meaning man, woman, Adam, Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Enjoy it. It's all about me. It's a gift to you. I can watch a basketball ball game and my wife can watch a cooking show and when they're over, we haven't moved one iota away from the set direction that God has placed our minds. Is everyone with me? Not one single inch has moved me. Because our minds are set on the things of God and I get it. It's not God that reverse dunk, it's not God, it's beauty that God made, but it's not God. So I can leave the highlights unaffected, really, in terms of having my mind set on God. So we understand, Stephanie and me, by now, that our life is all about seeing and knowing what God wants and what pleases him. We get that. Our minds are set on the things of the Spirit. So please, I beg you, part of making you into a strong Christian is understanding, getting out of your mind the ridiculous nonsense that to be in the Spirit, you have to be reading a Bible or you have to be praying. I, I, can't, I, 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 I can't be in the Spirit unless I'm reading the Bible or praying. That's just pure, pure religious nonsense. Although to be sure, if I'm not regularly in my Bible and regularly talking to God, to be sure, my mind cannot remain set on the things of God. Everyone with me? But so important that I can cross a line and my wife can cross a line where I am spending so much time watching Boston Celtics highlights that I begin replacing what God has created for me with God himself, rather the other way around. I began replacing God himself with what he has created for me. Is everyone with me? And anyone re remember Romans chapter 1, verse 25, which spoke of the man who began to worship and serve what God created rather than God himself. And that's why I need to be very careful with Boston Celtics highlights. My, my wife needs to be very careful. We're told in the Bible to uh, touch the things of the world. For C.S. Lewis, it was that literature. With me, it's sports. With my wife, it's cooking shows, whatever. We have to touch it lightly lest we replace God himself with those things and our minds are no longer set on the things of God. So with all that in mind,
Let's read again verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. We get that definition of the in the flesh again, Sean. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, meaning what I want and what pleases me. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, meaning what pleases God and what God wants, loving what God wants. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded or having a mind of the flesh is death. But to be spiritually minded is life. What does that mean, to be carnally minded, having a mind, a mente de carne, a a mind of the flesh? Uh, What does that mean, that it it brings death? It means it brings death or it works death into your relationship with Jesus Christ. And and, And I don't mean that the relationship dies completely, I mean death starts to work its way into it and, and the joy that you get in the relationship and it works its death into the peace of, uh, that you get in the relationship and then it even works death into your relationship with others, it works death into the, your sense of purpose in life, it uh, brings death into the soundness of your mind. Listen, this is an important thing if you're going to become a, a, a strong person, setting your mind on the things of the flesh and not setting your minds on the things of the spirit because if you set your minds on the thing, things of the flesh, Death, rot, will work its way in into your relationship with God and then everything around you and even the very purpose of your life. Death will work into it. However, it says um, there at the end of verse 6, but the spiritually minded is, is, is life in peace, meaning life starts to, if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, life starts to work its way uh, work its way into your relationship with God. It's manifested in joy and peace. And life begins to manifest in your relationship with others. Life into your sense of purpose, into the soundness of your mind. You go from, from being a crazy basket case, like me in the flesh, to having a sound mind. See how important it is to set your mind on the things that please God? Verse 7, because the carnal mind is at enmity with God, meaning it's an enemy against God. Is it any wonder when, you, when in your mind, the carnal mind, the mind of the flesh, works death into all your relationships? It's because... You've become an enemy of God when you set your mind on the things of the flesh. Continue on in verse 7. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. Verse 8. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. But you. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now what he's telling him here is though, he's telling him, though you may be walking according to the flesh, You're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. You received the spirit of God when you asked Jesus Christ into your life and he came in. It says in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, I knock at the the door of your hearts. If anyone opens, I will come. And he comes in by the Holy Spirit. So what he's encouraging them, 
living that Roman 7 struggle, which never goes away, just failure after failure after failure. They're, they, why are they doing that? Because they're living according to the flesh. They're, they're, they have their minds set on the flesh. And, and he's telling them, look, you're living according to, to the flesh, but wait a second. You're not in the flesh. You're in the, you're in the spirit. Then he continues on in verse 9, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12 continues. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. What is a debtor? A debtor is someone, uh, a debtor is someone who uh, owes someone something. It means you, if you're a debtor to someone, it means you owe them something. What Paul is saying here is you're not a debtor to the flesh. You don't owe the flesh anything. It says, now the flesh, the sin that lives inside of you, it's always going to be trying to convince you that you owe it something. Your flesh is ever trying to convince you that you owe it something. I've given you pleasure for so long. I've satisfied you for so long. You owe me. Take me again. It's always trying to convince you that you owe it. You don't owe it anything except to hate it. It's the, it, the flesh is what made your life miserable. It's what, um, it, it's what caused Jesus to have an iron stake driven through his feet, an iron stake, stake driven through his right hand and his left, and a spear into his side. You hate the flesh. I just love the end of the book of Jude. It says he even hate the garments that has been stained by flesh. <laughs> you don't owe it anything. Stop giving into it. And then finally in verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by, the, if by the Spirit, verse 13 says, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body? Well, I believe Ephesians... Chapter 6, we have the, the end of uh, Ephesians, which is about the armor of God. Can we have um, Ephesians chapter 6? Thank you. It says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 13 says, take up this sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and kill the flesh. Put to death the flesh. Kill it. It's going to go just a few minutes 
over the hour because I want to I want to I want to give you an illustration of what this is talking about. On Tuesday nights, we're going through the book of Judges. And just gave a picture of what you're missing if you're not going on Tuesday night, book of Judges. And you may be saying, oh, wow, that's what goes on. I don't want to be there. In Judges chapter 2, there is a judge, meaning a ruler, who is raised up by the name of Ehud. Now, there's a cycle in the book of Judges of the Israel going into rebellion against God, God sending enemies to to punish them, and then after a number of years, they, uh, God rises up a leader, and the leader def- uh, in, among the Israelites, and the leader defeats the enemy, and then there's peace again. Well, there's a judge by the name of Ehud, and at the time, Israel was being oppressed by an enemy leader by the name of Eglon. And it says in the book of Judges chapter 2 that Eglon was a very fat man. He was a very fat man. And it says that this judge, this leader, Ehud, actually traveled to where that king was, this very fat man. And he was a left-handed man. He took a dagger and he put it into his stomach. And it went in so far that the the fat man's flesh closed up over the handle. And then he, you, you, the, the, the Jewish leader fled and he called the armies of Israel and, and they defeated the nation. But it says that when he, and, and, and get this, this is what you're missing on Tuesday night. When he put in the, the dagger into the flesh, it says his entrails came out. But if you do a word study, that word entrails means feces, human feces. See what you're missing? See what you're missing by not being there Tuesday night? I'm really glad I'm not there on Tuesday. You may be thinking. The sword of the spirit, can we get the Ephesians verse up? Is the word of God. Let's get one more verse up there from Galatians. Can we get that? Galatians 3.5 says this, He who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you does it by the hearing with faith. Meaning when you hear the word of God and then apply your faith, you can kill your sin. So back to the, back to the Ephesians verse. It says, it, it, it says, Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and kill your sin. Kill it. Kill it so the flesh, the dirt, the poop comes out. And I gave an example um, um, recently of what happened to me where there is exact same thing happened. Just the poop came out, and I'm not talking literally. I'm talking about just sin in my life that I had put together with a couple guys who are super, super close to me, who I've known for decades, and we were going to travel somewhere and be with each other, just the three of us. We were really, really excited. We got our plane tickets, and then I heard, just out of the blue, and really without any permission, one of the guys invited some other dude who we barely know. And, And I was so upset. I'm like, what in the world is he out of his mind? 
How could he do this? I said, I'm, I'm going to cancel that ticket. I'm not going to go. It was totally in the flesh. Totally in the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. In other words, my, if I stayed in the flesh, death would work its way into those relationships with those two guys that I've known for decades. And I remember just going to my... And remember the Galatians 2 verse about hearing the word. How does God operate by the Spirit and do miracles among you? It says by hearing, hearing the word of God by faith. I remember going in my devotion time to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, and it says, For here we have no enduring city, but we seek one to come. And I thought about this meeting that I was going to have with these three guys who I'd known to decades. Our hearts are just knit so close to each other, and all of a sudden the whole thing's been spoiled. And I just, I heard by faith, remember the Galatians, by faith, I'm just looking for an enduring city. I'm looking for what I want now. I'm looking for a life that my plans come to fruition rather than a city to come. And I can tell you, as God is my witness, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, just the poop came out. Sorry. It did. I mean, that was a few weeks ago, and since then, I had never brought it up with these two guys. I'm like, I'm not looking for an enduring city. That's not what my life is about. I'm going to go down there. I'll have a good time. It'll be a different time. But if my mind is set on an enduring city here, an enduring happiness here, where all that my plans and all my dreams are accomplished here, I am disobeying the word of God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, so, because it says, we don't have a continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Are you a weak Christian or are you a strong one? The very last verse I'm going to put up the, the, here is Proverbs 24, verse 16. It says, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Are you a person, when you fall, you stumble, you stay there? Or, or are you one that gets up? That's strength. Strength, being strong as a Christian, does not mean falling. It doesn't, because you are going to fall 70 times 7. But it means that you rise again. That's strength. That's the man or woman of God that I want produced at this church by the power of God. Okay, let's rise for a worship song and let's pray. And parents, if you have a, a, a child in the nursery or Sunday school, if one of you can go get them. But the less, rest of us, let's, let's, let's worship. Father, we want to be a people who are strong. Strong, as Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, strong in the Lord, not strong in our own strength, Lord. We've tried. We failed. The best that we can do is fall flat on our face. We want to be strong in the Lord 
and in the power of his might. Your word says that we get there by setting our mind on the things of the spirit. Most of us get what that means, Lord. But it also says, but don't set your minds on the things of the flesh. Most of us don't get that, Lord. I need help a lot. Please give it, Lord. What does that mean for my life, every life? There's 150 different lives here, each with a, it means a different thing for each of them. What it means to set your mind, what it means to set their mind on the thing, things of the flesh. Tell them, Lord. Tell them what it means so they can just, so they can, Lord, just obey, carve things out of their life or whatever so that their minds are set on the things of the Spirit, things that please you, things that you want for their life, things that, Lord, if they will walk in them, they will learn to love them. Father, we don't seek here an enduring city, a continuing city. And we know that, it, as, the, as the psalm says, it says all flesh, all the world is like grass. It's, it's here for a day. But Lord, there is a city that we can seek. There's a heart, your heart, that, w- that we can set our minds on. And there is a joy and there is a peace that we can have now by which your glory is revealed. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. By your spirit, speak, Lord, to us about how to get to that very place that our minds are set on the spirit and not on the flesh. In Jesus' name. If the prayer partners could come up now, if you'd like prayer, please come up. Otherwise, let's, let's close the uh, service with a worship song.